0: George Costanza, Tony Soprano, Richie Cunningham. They're some of the most iconic characters in television history. Their personalities are so familiar to us that it feels as if we actually know them, and it becomes incredibly difficult for the actor playing that role to shed their indelible association with that character. Take Ron Howard, for instance. Despite his prolific career behind the lens as a director, it's his beloved role on the classic TV series Happy Days that he'll forever be inextricably tied with. You simply can't discount the comfort and familiarity of an actor appearing weekly on screen in your living room. This next guest has appeared in countless TV shows, but it's his role as David Silver on the massively successful show Beverly Hills 90210 that still resonates with so many people. He's experienced career success and fame in many different iterations, but he's been able to keep a healthy perspective on it all. He's learned to embrace the recognition and opportunities that have come as the result of his early roles while working tirelessly to stay busy and forge new avenues to define what he's capable of as an actor. It's a fine line to walk that hasn't been without personal challenges. So how do you maintain a pragmatic sense of self-awareness and humor when you work in a business where perception, image, and the fickle fluctuations of fame and ratings collectively define your career viability? We'll find out as we sit down for a conversation with the man behind some of TV's most memorable characters. Today, actor, producer, primetime TV veteran, and 90s hip-hop connoisseur, Mr. Brian Austin Green. Brian! thanks for sitting down What's going man. On, man. oh my gosh of course <laughs> strange times we're living in huh
1: <laughs> yeah dude look, this has been a long time coming man we've been talking about doing this for a while now so i'm glad it worked out today yeah thanks um
0: so i mean, jump right in man mask dancer uh yeah what a what a massive success it must be so much fun working on that show
1: dude it's so much fun it's really it's really amazing it's like it's to go to work, it's probably the funnest job I've ever done. Like, to go to work and just laugh and just have fun and be positive and not like judge people or do any of that is amazing. And make people, everyone that does the show has a great time doing it. So and it, it, it's, it shows it, it's a really cool. Thing. And I, I, yeah. I think
0: I think some of the the reasons that it's gotten the traction that it has is it. I think ironically, it really dropped at a perfect time in that it's just like, it's such a nice break from like the gravity and the stress of what's going on in the world right now. And it's like the show, it's not, it's not cynical. It doesn't have manufactured conflict like so much reality TV does. There's no evil judge making fun of people, you know, it's just, it's broad, wholesome entertainment. And, you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's great. you know.
1: I think it's, I think it's a good, uh, it's a good family show for right now too. Like, you know, it's w- with people stuck at home, it gives people an opportunity to sit down and like as a family and, uh, and watch something and enjoy it together and, and laugh and ha- have a good time and not, uh, not take themselves too seriously. It's almost like Jeopardy, but for the family, like it's, <laughs> you know, most, most parents like sit around together and they're like, Oh, you know, I watched Jeopardy last night. I did so good. And it's like. That's that's what everybody's doing with uh, Masked singer and dancer. It's great. Tell me about
0: what are some of the challenges of of doing a show like that during COVID. I mean, I know it's it's such a hack observation, but I mean the the irony of of producing a show called the Masked Dancer during a pandemic. I mean, is is the irony lost? <laughs> is the irony lost on the producers or everyone has a actually, good sense of humor about when that?
1: When I when I did Masked Singer, I asked that. I was like, hey, so do I have to wear a mask over the costume? <laughs> like, yeah. how does that work? It's they're really conscious of what it is they're doing and the fact that uh, they have the opportunity to, to make this show. Um, They're, they're, they're really conscious about, they test every day on set Uh, that there's social distancing. There's only a certain amount of people allowed on stage at once. It's, uh, it's all a virtual audience. Okay. That's
0: what I was getting at. So it's all,
1: so the audience isn't there at all they have this uh, overlay that they do. It's sort of this like new technology thing that they're using. I guess it's a lot of what they use for like the Mandalorian and stuff like that. So they can, they do really cool things. Like you'll see the front of the stage and it'll look like a building going down with streetlights and all sorts of stuff. They really, they can add virtually anything to it and they sync it to the, the cameras. So no matter where the cameras move, it, everything stays exactly the same, the same position. So it's great with the crowd. The, the virtual crowd that they've got has a bunch of different things they can do. And then they've got tons of crowd shot from when they were doing singer and they were doing that uh, with an actual audience. So they sort of cut between the two. And then we, while we're on set, they have a lot of like laugh track and applause and stuff like that. So it feels
0: just to, to help with the vibe. It must be a strange, yeah, uh, it
1: feels, it feels like it's a room full of. You forget that there is no audience there because it sounds like it, and they laugh when you say something that's funny, and like they really they they work with what you're doing, so it's super helpful.
0: And so it sounds like they've been pretty pretty successful, kind of replicating the workflow because you were a mass singer too. Like, is it a wholly yeah. different experience I mean, in terms of you know during COVID?
1: I think it's not it's not a different experience. I don't think for for making it, um, the show is just a much different different show uh, like i remember when i got the call from mass singer i'm not the most confident singer in the world so i i felt really emo- like really worried about doing that part of it like i was working with the vocal coach and i was like really stressing over having to sing and do all that and perform on stage and it's weird when you're there and you're doing like you know you're working with the vocal coach you're working with the music supervisor you're you're doing sound checks and you're you're doing a vocal check on the microphone and where to place the microphone on the, you know, where your actual face is yeah. compared to where the costume face is. <laughs> so it was all of these things that were like all of these moving parts that really had to come together. A show like Dancer, I actually would have preferred because it's true anonymity. Like it, it's when you're in the costume, it's kind of like Halloween. It's like you, you put on a costume and... You just get to act a fool and you don't, you don't worry about it at all. They, I mean, they were really, it's a really amazing thing that they have running there. Like they, even when I was doing singer, you know, nobody knows that it's you uh, in the costume, except for maybe four people, like a handful of people, the executive producer, the vocal coach, the choreographer, the music composer, otherwise everybody calls you by your costume. So everybody called me giraffe.
0: That's amazing.
1: For uh, for for the weeks that I was there, for when I was rehearsing, when I was doing everything. And then they do the same thing now on uh, on dancer. It, it's nobody knows who is in these costumes and you know, they don't have like live live feeds that even show during the unmasking process. So they clear out everybody from the stage. They really, do the unmasking. There's a lot of state. They knows. really they, they take yeah. good care. Nobody nobody knows who it is until the show
0: airs. I was listening to an interview that you did. I thought it was so hilarious. I forgot the context, but you were maybe walking from your trailer to set, and uh, part of your your uh, sweatpant was pulled up so that your leg was exposed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like as if someone be like, I know those
1: calves anywhere. You know, like, <laughs> well, no. So so what it is? What it? At first, I was like, that seems like overkill it's ridiculous like i have to cover every bit of skin but their thought is like we don't want people to know whether you're a man or a woman you're you're a white man or a black man like or or you know you have dark skin or like they don't want any, anyone, any little clue anyone give away. on the yeah. on on the stages on the lot at all to have any clue who it could be and you'd be surprised like how much that narrows things down like as as a as a panelist now on dancer and you're looking for clues and you're trying to figure out who somebody is, those little clues are super helpful Wow! to know like, Oh, okay. It's a, it's a Hispanic woman, like judging by the color of her skin. Okay. Well that narrows down the field of who I think it could be. You know, let me, let me get rid of all the, all the people that I know it's not. And then it narrows the field a lot.
0: And and how did you end up on that show? Is that a product of, uh, does that speak to having a terrific agent? Do you have, is that because of an existing relationship with Fox? Did you campaign for it? Like, how did that
1: happen? I just got super lucky. I had done, I did Singer, and the week they were editing my reveal episode, they were putting together names for panelists for this Masked Dancer show. So it Honestly, for me, it was like right place at the right time. They happened to be editing my episode and they liked, they liked my reveal and they liked my rapport with everybody. So they were like, okay, let's, you know, let's just, uh, uh let's, let's talk to him. And I remember, I remember my, my manager had, had reached out to me at one point and she was like, Hey, so Fox, they, they want to have a zoom call with you in an hour. Are you available? I was like, well, I'm at the car wash, but I can, (laughs) I can zoom from my phone. So I was at the car wash, but I zoomed from my phone, my manager, nobody knew who, who was going to be on the call or what it was for or anything. It was literally just a random, like, Hey, can you do a zoom meeting for Fox? So I get on and, uh, it's the the two executive producers and and the people from Fox, the, the two executive producers of singer. And I knew right away, I was like, Oh, that's, I had heard about dancer before then and so when they talked to me about it i was i didn't want to like show all my cards i want to have a bit of a poker face you know sort of like when you're in a car lot like you're not supposed to act too excited about a car you're like oh i gotta think about it Yeah, Yeah. sounds like an interesting idea let me run (laughs) it past my people and we'll see you know so i I played that for a little while but uh it just sounded really cool and i was i was super honored that they would that they would ask me. I remember when I was doing singer and I got to the unveil part and I was, I finally got a chance to talk to the panelists because, you know, you spend weeks not being able to talk. Like you're, you're just doing hand gestures and things to keep this costume alive, but you can't speak. So all of a sudden, once I could speak, I I realized like, that's, that's the cool job to have is to be a panelist, like to be behind the desk Much like the viewers of the show at home, watching these amazing performances and then trying to guess who who's wearing these costumes,
0: and it's such an eclectic mix that sometimes, I mean, on paper you'd be like, "Does that work?" And then there's like this like kind of strange chemistry. You're like, "Yeah, I'm making. I'm going to make a cake with like bacon, a pickle, and some (laughs) strawberries," and then you're like, "Wow, that is a delicious cake!
1: (laughs) Totally, that's the best cake I've ever had." Yeah, Yeah, yeah. it's one of yeah, it's you know when when I first heard about the concept of of Masked Dancer, I was like, that seems impossible. You know, mass Singer already seemed impossible because I don't watch the show a lot. So I didn't understand the concept of watching these clue packages and what to watch for and how it worked. And then once you're doing it and you're seeing these clue packages and it's really up to you, like all the panel, you're all discussing who you think it could be you start seeing clue packages and things in a different way. So like all of a sudden I'm paying attention to the way somebody walks. And if they walk like they're older, they're younger, when they dance, do they dance like somebody that's a trained dancer or do they, do they dance like somebody that's an entertainer, but not much of a dancer at all? Or are they dancing like, you know, yeah, they're not bad. I mean, they're obviously not trained, but they're, you know, they do something within that, that field. So it's amazing when you start looking for looking at those things and then you start watching the clue packages and looking for little things that connect the dots. It, it's it's all like about, a game
0: show wrapped up in a variety show. Yeah, it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, it really, it, it's, it's challenging in a different way. Like you think it's going to be challenging yeah. just because you're looking for like, oh, how am I going to know who's dancing in a costume? And it's like, no, once you know what to look for, you can start like making sense of all of them and finding clues and things like, we, we, we just did an unmasking of Elizabeth Smart. And I remember the first, the first week that they had showed, she was the moth on the show, Miss Moth. And the first week when they showed her clue package, a lot of the clues really led to Monica Lewinsky. And that's what Paul and I had talked about because it was a scandal. And, you know, she, there was a blue dress in the clue package. There were all these things that sort of like she was thrust into the spotlight and all of it. And so that our, our minds went there. But then as I sat at home after that and thought about that clue package, I noticed little things like they didn't show the white house in the clue package. They showed the Capitol building in the clue package. So automatically I was like, okay, well, it's, it's a scandal, but not a scandal that took place in the white house and Monica Lewinsky. That's quite
0: a, quite an unravel. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Monica Lewinsky's took place in the white house. When you start realizing like they could have shown the white house if they wanted to, but they didn't like they, they didn't on purpose. So that's something to watch. Then the later clues were like, they showed her thinking and they showed all of these like math problems going past her, meaning she was smart. And then they showed Queen Elizabeth at one point. So you find, you know, there's all these little clues that her initials, EAS, like Elizabeth yeah. and Smart, like you start noticing all these little things and you start going, oh, that okay. You know, the, the dates hanging on a line. At first I was like, why are dates hanging on a clothesline? That doesn't make any sense. And then you start realizing, like you start picking it apart and you realize like, oh, the show Dateline. When uh when Bill Nye, the science guy was on, they they showed a clue at one point and it was creamed corn or something like that. But the C O R and the L in the second word were yellow, so they were highlighted. So what it meant was Cornell. Like it's somebody from Cornell. It has nothing to do with the name that you see there. So it's it's all about figuring out what to look it's for. some red, red herrings
0: you, along the way yeah, too. Yeah, once you
1: once you start once you start figuring out how how they make these clue packages and what their thought process is behind it, then it's a much different situation. It's fun. It's a lot of fun.
0: It must be so much fun to work on, man.
1: Yeah. I've never, I've never been one for like whodunits and and, and playing the game like clue and all those things. Like that's just never been my, my strong suit. I didn't think until doing this, like now it's really fun. I'm really into it. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll switch gears for a second. You, it seems like you you kind of had success in this industry at a really interesting time in your life. And I know you've been acting since you were a kid, but you didn't really blow up as like a kid actor per se. I mean, I don't know. We've seen how, how right. that plays out with so many people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even though the show 90210 has had this complete life and it's had a full circle of like pop culture relevancy it has been rebooted there's like this nostalgia associated with it even though the show itself is so old you're still young enough you're like you're good looking and you're in good shape and you're still you're still relevant (laughs) enough to be not just that guy who was on that show back when or whatever um but you know for better or worse the character david silver so many people like just love and really i think are going to always associate that character with you and I'm, i'm curious what are some of your challenges? Was that, was that show an albatross around your neck for a while, like having to kind of pivot and, and reinvent yourself? Or were you just wholly grateful to have had the experience to get to be a part of that?
1: Um, both. When the show first ended, I remember, you know, as an actor, you're like, okay, let me, re- you know, everybody knows me as this character. So let me reinvent myself and like not use my middle name. And yeah. like all these, you, you start, you know, change my haircut. Like you start thinking of all these things to do. And then you realize the, the more you work on... I mean, I was lucky enough to work pretty consistently since the show. The more things I worked on that people enjoyed, that's what distanced me from the show. It wasn't so much myself. It wasn't my name. It wasn't my haircut. It wasn't any of that stuff. What you start doing is you start becoming the guy from 90210 that was also on Sarah Connor Chronicles and Desperate Housewives. And the wedding band at like, you start finding all of the, you know, you, you start creating this body of work and then people stop associating you just from the one thing so much. Like one of the, one of the people that I, that I really connected to just as an example for myself, not necessarily because it was an example of the career that I wanted, but I remember thinking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, that name, was much bigger than the projects that he had done. And that was because he had done a ton of things. Like at first when he was just Conan the Barbarian, everyone was like, oh, the guy who played Conan the Barbarian. And then it was like, you know, the Terminator and then and then Predator and then Kindergarten Cop and all these, like he he just started expanding his body of work until he got to the point where his name was much more famous than the projects that he was working on because... He had done so many projects like it was his name was associated with
0: things, And it slowly starts to almost like erode the memory of like that typecast from the original project.
1: Well, it, it just starts to it starts to give people more memories. Like if you only have a memory of somebody being a bully in school and picking on you in kindergarten, that's the only memory you have until you also have a memory of them from fifth grade and they were really cool and they stuck up for you. And then in, you know, in, in high school, when they were on the football team, but they like always had those, those become the the memories, you know, that becomes the body of it all. So yeah. it's not, he's not just, you can laugh and go, Oh, I remember when you were a bully in, in you know, in kindergarten, like there was, there was a guy who, who I worked with who did sound on anger management, the show that I did. And he was he used to bully me in like kindergarten really? in school. Yeah. And and so that was the only memory I had out of him. I like, I went to school with him for kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. He just always picked on me. And then I ran into him at work and he was a super nice guy. Did and you I both never, put it
0: together right away or just one of you guys? Yeah.
1: Well, I heard his name and I, I don't want to say his name because I don't want anybody yeah, to yeah. trace him down and give him a hard time for it. But, uh, as soon as I heard his name, I was like, Oh, one of those names like that, you know, when you, when you learn it, when like, I still remember my parents home from, like, you know, there's those (laughs) things, there's those things that are always going to be there. They're programmed in your mind. And it's like you, I use them for, you know, half of my life. So this guy was like that, but then he ended up being the nicest guy. And we joked about the fact that he used to like pick on me and he was the bully, you know, he was my bully in school. Like we, we laughed about it because he wasn't still a bully. He wasn't still that guy. So it's sort of the same thing, uh, I think, career-wise. Like, it's, it's up to me to do things that people remember and they attach my, my name to. It. Not just that one show. If, if I had just done that one show, that's on me.
0: Would you say you've had, you've had enough success since that show to kind of feel comfortable being... Like, do you look fondly back at, at that show?
1: I do. I do. Yeah, that, that show was a really, it was a really good experience. It really was.
0: Well, because so you and I met, I don't know if you remember, but I was shooting on set doing some stuff for, for the Fox Network um, when you guys were doing promo for the reboot about a year or two ago. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, And so there I was, do. there was two days of shooting the first day the, it was kind of funny. The, the producers specifically timed the shoot times for the cast for certain members to not overlap. Cause I think they thought there might've been some, um, legacy animosity or, you know, yeah. I don't know the backstory, um, right. which presented a problem for me because I'm trying to get shots at the cast. There was <laughs> literally like nobody there at the same time. The right. second day, I remember it so specifically the first time when everybody was on set together on the soundstage, at the same time, there was like yeah. a palpable sense of, of 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 camaraderie amongst all you guys. And I got to really witness like you guys seeing each other for the first time, I think, yeah. you know, since maybe yeah. back when. What's a good analogy? I mean, you you must. Is it like is it like going to war together? Is it like being in a family? I mean, you must have these shared experiences. Yeah. Do you always have a bond with those guys.
1: My my analogy and I've used it before. It's a bit morbid, morbid, but whatever. It works <laughs> is. uh I I liken it to plane crash survivors. That's
0: a good one. Yeah, the only people
1: the only people that truly understand what the experience was like are the people that were together on that plane, like during that experience. And. You know, whenever whenever you meet uh, survivors and you see them together, they have a bond and a certain thing that nobody else will ever have with them. 90210 was it was such a surreal experience. And then doing the reboot was uh, was surreal also because it was like so long after the fact, you know, it was like it had been, what, 29 years since we had shot the pilot or something when we did that. And all of a sudden we're doing a photo shoot together and we had done a billion photo shoots together. And it was just this thing of like, wow, I can't believe we're back here doing this. And
0: the part of you just like kind of snaps back into it. Like,
1: yeah, well, and there was, there was a big part of me and other people too that were like, never, I'll never do a reboot. Like just, <laughs> it'll never happen. And the fact that it did and we were all there, all of us was, was really really amazing we had gone through the loss of luke before that which was which really sort of brought us all back together again and then it it became one of the main catalysts for uh, for us i think as a unit to do the show was to pay homage to uh to him and it was and it was really cool like being back on fox and and doing it the way we did and the the show that we made so mirrored what what the actual experience was like like doing the upfronts and uh and being at fox and like we you know we we got to mirror that a lot in in the actual uh the scripts for the show so it was it was a really cool it was a really cool experience it really was that's so cool
0: um, well, so, you know, one of the themes that I, I, I love to talk about on this podcast is, is this concept of fame and how the politics of it play out and how different people's different um, experiences and how they interpret it. And so it seems like there's almost like this subconscious belief amongst the public that, that fame is like this binary experience and that like you're either anonymous. Or, like, once you become famous, like, this secret door opens, and, like, once you're in this exclusive club, everybody kind of knows each other, and, like, you're all kind of on the same plane, which, you know, it went... Which, in reality, I would suspect, and you can speak to this, I would suspect that it's probably clicky and fragmented, like, just like everything else in life, you know? It's like David Spade and Brad Pitt are not on the same level, you know what I mean? And, totally.
1: you know, you, yeah. you, have
0: a, you have some heat on you right now, you're on a hit TV show, and you, you also you know, went through the whole 90210 phenomenon, but somewhere between those two chapters, you, you were with, with Megan Fox and she was involved in one of the biggest international movie franchises on the globe at the time. And, and I'm curious, like during that, during that point, did you ever have a moment where you were surprised or shocked at the, just the actual magnitude of the machinery behind a movie of that caliber, as opposed to like TV fame, which you had already experienced?
1: Um, you know what? It wasn't it wasn't so different. I mean it was it was different with the world of paparazzi and the internet because that didn't exist back when we did the show. But the machine is very much the same. It's like as soon as you do something, then it's like, okay, you're on the publicity train and you're literally doing as much as you possibly can. You're trying to get as many names at the premiere as possible, as many people in the films as possible as many people in photo shoots with you as possible. Like that's not much different. I think the main difference honestly was, you know, television and film are very different groups of people. They're, they're different professions. So up until recently now with streaming and all of that, obviously it's, it's changed, but before
0: yeah,
1: people in film, uh, they did films and then people in television, did television. They, they wouldn't mind doing films, but, uh, you know, you, you, you quickly realize doing television, it's a pretty good gig. You get paid steadily. Most of the time you are in town or in one location. There are some really good people that sort of circle through. Sometimes you can get some amazing guest stars. You can get some film people, you know, it's, it's kind of fun, but it's, uh, it's a machine just like the other. I mean, they're just, it's
0: and do you notice a difference from the public's perspective? Is there a difference on, on how uh, you notice people reacting to you? Cause I feel like there must be this notion that people feel like I know that guy, as opposed to, you know, you see somebody on a 50 foot screen there, there it's, it's a wholly different experience, you know?
1: I think, I think the main difference too, is that um, for the most part, television is free compared to going and buying a ticket and sitting down with your family and, actually taking time out of your weekend or your life to go see a movie it's and, and yeah. you know and 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 you have to support it so it, it's all about how many tickets it's sold and that's not that's not how tv works like we're you know we're we're in the ratings game but like when you're on network television when you're doing something like dancer, it's free yeah. so it's really just about like you know hey just making it as entertaining as possible for people and hoping that people tune into it. I think that's the main difference between the two is you start, you know, in film, it's all about who the box office draws on um, who those people are. And it's a very
0: small club.
1: That's a very uh, small window. Yeah. There's a very small group of people that consistently, can bring people into the theater.
0: So after getting to experience what you what you experienced in 90210 and then all the subsequent things that you've done since then, you know, getting to see international movie fame with Megan, like what what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you would think that, that people would think about being famous? And because you know, it's so easy, I think that there's so many unhappy people in this country right now. There seems to be this notion that like, if the world loved me, then... I would love myself too. And, you know, we all know that that probably isn't the way it pans out, but I mean, what, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you've, you've experienced?
1: That, that fame is exciting. I mean, fame is, fame is a very fickle thing. Like people love you and then hate you sometimes within the same day. You would think like, oh, you know, if, if I was famous and everybody loved me, it would change, it would change things. But then it's like, the stress that comes with that, like that's, that becomes something that you have to maintain. So it's like, yeah. you know, it's like being in high school, being in the popular group in high school and never growing out of it. Like it just snowballing and continuing. And it's something that a lot of people have to stay on top of. Like I figured out my, my fame is much more connected with just being myself. And for some odd reason, people like it. So I've sort of gotten rid of the, the stress side of it. Like I don't.
0: You're saying it's not, it's not as image based. You are your image. And thankfully people, people want a piece of that.
1: I'm my image, but, but a lot of people aren't, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people are worried about that outward appearance and and they've, they've built their career based on that. So there's, there's an upkeep to that. There's, you know, there's, there's skin and hair and all and makeup and all these things that if, if they're not perfect all the time and somebody sees that there are possible flaws, <laughs> then they could beat you up for them. And then it's like, OK, well, how much you know, how many fans is that going to cost me if I'm yeah. known as the perfect person? And then all of a sudden I'm not perfect. So it becomes this it becomes really I see it. I've seen it eat at people and become really stressful. A lot of money is spent
0: oh, I can imagine.
1: maintaining an appearance that to the outside public, they would assume is just your daily appearance. <laughs>
0: like, so I think the first time I ever heard this term, and, um, the comedian Jay Moore was referring to himself. And he, I love Jay. He, he, he's great. He said he considers himself a member of the show business middle class. And I thought that was such a great apt way of of kind of identifying where he sees himself in the kind of celebrity echelon yeah. and it, it seems like uh, for a while i think you changed it but for a while your, your instagram handle was aren't you that guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> i thought that was so great i think it really speaks to your your healthy sense of of self-awareness and your sense of humor about you know where you kind of fit yeah. into this very strange industry that you that you see yourself a part yeah. of um and I, it seems like I and mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like your your level of success and fame had probably afforded you a really nice lifestyle, not just financially, but in a mental health sense. Like, because you seem like a very nice guy who likes to just talk to people and be personable. And you seem like you've been able to actually just have somewhat of a normal life without some of the trappings of being the celebrity that can't go outside without being like, harassed by people. I mean, is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah, no, it is for sure. Um, I, I think. My parents really instilled in me um a good set of morals when I was younger, so even at even at the points like when when we were doing mental two now and it was crazy successful and I was making a ton of money and doing all of that, I still had a sense of not necessarily luck because I don't believe in luck but there was there's always been a part of me that was kind of like didn't completely believe it and didn't understand it up until a few years ago. I felt like I don't, I don't understand why I've been given this platform and why people care what I have to say. Like, I don't, I don't understand this. This doesn't make any sense because it's, I don't feel like I'm any more special than, than anyone else. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've made money, Acting, like that's that's the career that I chose at a young age, and it's been really good to me. And then a couple years ago, I realized, you know what? Maybe it's not something for me to make sense of. Maybe it's not something for me to. For me to completely understand why I've been given the platform or the soapbox or whatever it is that you want to call it that I have, maybe it's about what I do with it. So I've really been in a place, especially the last couple of years of trying to shift my perspective of life and my perspective of just the day-to-day, my my kids and, and all of that, and really, really change the way I view things. And I realized that I don't, I don't have nearly as much control as I always wanted when I was younger, as I think most people want, like you sort of want that sense of like, oh, I've got, you know, I can control this or, or that, or, you know, it, it works out the way I want it to be. And, and I realized that that's not the case at all, that I really have a very small amount of control in my life. The only thing I truthfully have control over is who I choose to be while living life, like while being the person that I am, how I choose to control the platform that I've been given, the soapbox that I have, how I choose to deal with things emotionally, how conscious I am of choices that I make. So I've really tried to stop and think about the person i want to be when situations come up instead of the person that i just normally am normally i think people are much more reactive and much more like as soon as you feel something or deal with something you want to respond right away you want to defend yourself right away you want to do this right away and if i stop for a second and think about it in defending myself even it's like why what am I going to gain from it? Like, you know,
0: it seems like a really like healthy, evolved place that you've been able to come to. Was there a time when you were definitely not like that? I mean, whether a time in your 20s, Dang. your 30s, I mean, because any sort of growth usually involves a portion in the middle before you get to that place
1: Where Yeah, I'd say I'd say like 98 percent of my <laughs> life. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't that way. And it's really over the last few years clicked for me. I think the end of my marriage was a big catalyst. Uh, I think my kids, my, young, my youngest kids have been a big catalyst for me. The, the health issues that I went through, the neurological stuff that I went through, I went through a lot in the last five years or so. And I think in coming out of those, I mean, just, just the health stuff alone, uh, the neurological stuff that I went through. I went through like three and a half years of recovery from that. And and I had to treat it much like somebody that had a stroke, even though I didn't have a stroke. So I had to do physical therapy, speech therapy. I had to do like all sorts of things to really get myself back. And relearning basic, basic functioning. Yeah, not, yeah, not even relearning. I, I, I've, I've, I've told people that it's much more, It's funny, you think that you have to relearn how to do stuff, but you have to remember how to do things. When I write things now, when I physically write on paper, I write exactly the same as I did before the neurological stuff that I went through. And it's not because I learned, I had to sit down and learn how to write letters again and I ended up writing them the same. I just had to remember the physical act of writing. Like I think of something let me, you know, let me connect my brain back to my body again and learn how to do it again and remember how to do it. And then I did it the exact same way. I have the exact same speech pattern. I have the exact same writing style. i like, nothing has changed at all. I I remember I like, I grew up playing drums and there was a time when I couldn't play. I couldn't physically play the drums. Uh, I just didn't, I couldn't find drums. I knew in my head what I wanted to play, but I couldn't do it physically, it physically with physically. my body. And there were times where I would sit down on the drums a week after I had and play better. And it's not because I had practiced or learned more. It was just like my brain was connecting those things with my body.
0: You You'd know? been thinking about it. like
1: Right. The human body is amazing. I mean, it really figures out how to connect wires again and get things working again. You meet people, you see people all the time that are like, you know, doctors told me I'd never be able to walk again and they learn how to walk again. And it's, it's really amazing what the body can do, but going through that process could have been so traumatic for me. And I really feel like I was lucky enough to process it in a way that was, that was healthy and learn from it and figure out what really meant something to me and what really didn't mean something to me.
0: Do you think you would have been able to handle it or you would have handled it much differently if that had occurred 10 15 years ago like were you in a, a better place mentally evolved to be able to handle that
1: no no i don't i mean it it happened six years ago but i think having the moral center that i had i think having the kids that i had you know, I think just my life in general, it I I took the perspective of this isn't something that I hope I get through. I have to. My kids depend on me. Like my kids depend on me to be a father. And I can't be a father right now. And so it's something that I need to improve if for nothing else for that reason. So there were all these little things in my in my life around me that were catalysts for taking a different approach and sitting back and really taking inventory of the things around me that meant a lot to me and, and, and what really didn't mean so much to me the things you know, my yeah what were some of the things that didn't make the cut? The way I was perceived I was so I was so worried about what other people thought I was so worried I was so worried about working. I started working when I was nine. And before 90210, through 90210, and after 90210, I had never had more than four months off, ever. Like, I had gone, we finished 90210, and I went from show to show to show. I mean, I did, if people go on my IMDB page, like, from 90210 on 90210 on, I was on tons of things. I, I did probably seven or eight shows, like, regular series. I did like two, two seasons plus of shows aside from all these guest things and things that I had done. So it was just like, I was just working nonstop. I think that was that situation and the health stuff really forced me to take the break that I was always afraid to take. I felt like, well, if I don't work, people are going to forget me. And uh, you know, it's important that strike while the iron's hot, like just keep working. You lose sight of like, maybe I need to sit for six months or a year and like travel and, and, you know, learn to meditate.
0: Has the work schedule of, of mass dancer, you know, provided you a, a real different type of lifestyle in terms of time for yourself, time for your family, time for.
1: Mass mass dancer is an amazing project to work on. It shoots much different from a series. Uh, like when we were doing Nano 210, we were working 10 out of 12 months doing the show on mass dancer, we 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 can do an entire season in like a month and a half. So I've got the rest of the year free <laughs> to, to like, like grow a beard <laughs> to, you know, nice. to, to do these things.
0: So i want to shift gears real quick for a second. I know, I know you're a big hip hop fan and you've like, yeah. produced music and yeah. you're, you're an artist. I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on, on the music industry today. Do you find, do you find yourself gravitating towards, I think we're, we're roughly the same age, like gravitating towards music that you grew up with and in the nineties that meant totally. a lot to you, or do you really yeah. seek out like new stuff?
1: Oh, I'm super nostalgic right now. Like I am, I'm listening to nothing but 90s hip hop. I think because that was the time period in my life that was the easiest. It was the most fun. Like I had no, I, I didn't really have any responsibility. Yeah. I, I didn't have any, anyone to really answer to. Like yeah. I just, you know, I would go out all the time and I, would, I was really into dancing. And it was, it was just like, it was so fun for me and i enjoy it now because it connects me back to that really fun feeling that i had in that that real fun time period <laughs> uh, which which is good for me now because otherwise life is so so serious i have so many responsibilities like i have four kids that call me dad and mean it like that you know i'm their father so it's a it's a much different world than it was
0: then, and it's weird. I'm always so like reticent to refer to anything as like the golden era of you know the golden like is it totally. is it just coincidence that we happen to be the right age and the music was that good, or are we just like falsely nostalgic about something? Because <sighs> let me put it in perspective. So I watched. Um, have you seen the Takashi Six Nine documentary on Hulu by any chance? No, uh, I haven't. Okay, so I'm like was slightly familiar with him. Just I live in New York City, and he's in the papers right? and the Fed. Go- so I watched this movie the other night, and right? um, I felt so old, like in a completely <laughs> in a completely acceptable way, you know. And, and I got to thinking, I was like, you know, throughout pop culture, whether it's Elvis or the Beatles or Sex Pistols or NWA. Like there's always been acts that they weren't supposed to be palatable to a certain generation. That was the whole point, you know? And and after watching that movie, I had the sad realization that like, I think I've become that generation. (laughs) Like I just was like, I, I don't, I just didn't get it. You know?
1: You know what though? I think, I think you get old when you start doing nothing but wanting to live in that time period that you feel nostalgic for. Yeah. Um you know, I think I think the people that age well are the ones that are open to change and progression. And and the ones the ones that sit back and go, you know what, my clothes Those are good. Those were the days. Yeah, my yeah. clothes are good. Like I bought my wardrobe in ninety eight. You know, I'm good. <laughs> it all still fits me the way I like it's like, well yeah. no, they, you know, they're clothes have changed since then. Like you gotta you gotta you know progress. You have to change with the times and you have to progress with things. But I do think that we got lucky in the 90s you know, I think, I think music is a bit cyclical. So now we're sort of in this period where I don't want to judge music necessarily because I'm sure there are tons of amazing artists and people that are doing amazing things right now, but it, it feels like you go through a period of music really experimented and tried a lot of stuff. And now it's in a period of like what worked before. Let's, let's just make that work again. And then I I have a feeling then people will, it'll grow again. I I think it just sort of goes that way. And that sort of happens within all industries, within movies, within television. Like there's all these remakes and these reboots of things that did well. It's like you, you start seeing the old things come back around again because people are like, you know, they don't make them like that anymore. And it's like, well, they, you know, they don't, they're not making them (laughs) like, then go do it. Yeah. They're not making them anymore like that right now. But in 10 years, films like Jaws and these things that like really change the way things were done will come back.
0: It'll be interesting to see how the Trump era and the year of COVID like has an effect on music. It's just it's such a strange time to be living in right now.
1: Yeah, I think it's been a curse, but I think there's I definitely think there's a silver lining to it. Uh, You know, just just socially. I was talking to somebody else about it. I think it's interesting. I, I really like. If you look back on it before covid before masks people didn't look each other in the eye in the eyes so much and the eyes are the windows to the soul and masks have forced you to do that
0: That's all we that's all we have yeah
1: <laughs> yeah that's the only thing you can look at all the rest is covered so you you now recognize and see people from their eyes and it's a whole different connection and so I'm hoping that at the point when We don't have to wear masks as the way we are now as religiously as we should be wearing masks that we don't lose that. I I hope that people... Um take
0: a lesson from people it.
1: People yeah. really find the importance of that connection and they go, you know what? That's that was a valuable thing that came out of that.
0: Oh, this whole COVID thing. I just feel you know what it feels like to me? It feels like it feels like a TV show that's just been on too long. Right. Like, oh this COVID show has really jumped the shark. You know, like, <laughs> like all the original cast members are gone, you know, like Trump's totally. yeah, gone. Yeah. Out. They recast Biden like he's Darren on Bewitched.
1: <laughs> you know, right. Like, oh. right, yeah. Yeah it's definitely not fun anymore. Like now it's, 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 God. it's gotten to the point now where it's like, okay, like, you know, what's, what's next? <laughs> like, like, I don't care. I don't care what it is so much as I just need something different. I want something new to happen. Yeah,
0: We, we always like to end the podcast with um, giving the guests an opportunity to plug something that may not be getting enough attention, whether it's like a book or a movie or an artist or like a cause. Um, is there anything you want to plug and kind of give some shine to before we leave?
1: I really feel like twenty twenty-one. I- I've I felt a shift with people. I felt a shift in people being much less judgmental of each other and much more open to change and feeling connection again and feeling love again and and and, and connecting with people. And above all, like I would I, I just hope that people continue to do that. I think that's a really cool thing that that is starting this year. I feel much more like people are people are looking to reach out and feel and, and and sympathize with people and connect with people in a way that they haven't in a while. And 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 so I think we need to continue on that path. I I feel like 2021 is sort of 2020 was so obviously insane you know, on that being on that whole train of like build back better, what the administration is, what, what their slogan was. I get that. I understand that. It's like, you know what, let's, let's do that in society as well. Let's continue. With a sense of civility and love and compassion. Yeah. Let's continue to connect with people and, and, and reach out to people that we wouldn't normally reach out to. It's amazing. I've I found like, even with social media and my Instagram thing, you know, I, I feel like we people don't really listen to each other so much anymore. People, they claim to hear everyone, but they're not really listening. And And it's not until you really listen, you realize like we're not so different. We're not so different. 2020 has sucked for everyone. So, so yeah, if that's
0: all in the same crappy, boring groundhog day, if
1: that's, (laughs) if that's, yeah, if that's a shitty thing that brings us all together, like if that's a common bond, let it be, let that be the common bond.
0: We'll we'll end on that. Our shitty (laughs) common bond is going to get us through all this.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yes. Let's make 2021 that about shitty common bonds.
0: Brian, thanks for taking time to sit down. Thanks, of thanks course, for your honesty, man. man. It's really great getting inside your head, and uh, I, I wish I wish you all the best, man. And I definitely, uh, um, I, I have a, a beer or a cup of coffee or whatever is your vice on tap when when we're able to get together in person. Beautiful,
1: so right on, man. Good, thank you for right, having man. me. I appreciate.
0: it. Have a good one.
1: Right on, brother. Later, man.
0: This episode of The Plug was produced by Bucci with audio engineering and original music by Peter Buckingham. Thanks for listening. And a huge thanks to today's guests for dropping in. If you like this episode, hit subscribe and be sure to tune in for future conversations.